0: So, we are, we are in the, the Gospel of Luke, and we've made our way through this, what we have called a, a, the true myth of John the Baptist and Jesus' birth narratives. And as they have both grown and entered into their, their ministry, both of them have caused uh, some offense. Well, John the Baptist has definitely caused offense that ended up him in prison, and that's where he currently sits, awaiting a trial. Uh, sitting in a prison, wondering, who is this Jesus? And Jesus has been... Baptized by John before John went off to prison. And Jesus, after he was baptized, was full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit led him of all places into the wilderness to be tempted, to to be tested. And we know he was not tempted by God. God tempts no man, but he was tested in the wilderness by the devil. And he comes out the other side of that 40 days of temptation. He comes out as the true Adam, the true Son of God, the true. Israel, who took all the temptations yet without sin so he might be our faithful and just high priest. And now Jesus is entering his ministry, a ministry that will take him, Luke tells us, to his hometown. Now, Jesus has done other ministry in other places, and Luke even hints at that, but Luke wants to take us to Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And it's a place where Jesus is going to cause offense, I don't have an outline for you this morning. Basically, I'm just gonna, we're going to walk through the story, you're going to see the, the setting, you're going to see the sermon, and then you're going to see the response to the sermon. But Jesus is coming to his hometown, and he's going to cause a lot of offense to the self-righteous. And most of us like to see the self-righteous uh, be offended, don't we? But let's be careful that maybe uh, we don't look too far beyond ourselves. Maybe it, we are the self-righteous. Jesus is coming to offer salvation to the lowly, to the weak, to the insignificant. And, and, and that actually is a slap in the face to those who don't think of themselves as, as too bad of people. Maybe, maybe you like Jesus' morals, and you like what he can do for you, a lot like the the people of Nazareth, the people of Israel liked him. He, he, was, he was healing people. He was feeding people. He was, you know, the, the, the great hope was that he would liberate them politically. And Jesus says, I came to heal those who are blind, who are lame, who are sick. I came to heal those to point that I came to heal people who are sinfully sick. That if, if that is you, if you think you're okay, but Jesus said, actually, you're sinfully sick, and I came to heal you, Jesus' message is offensive. Most people treated Jesus like we treat our political candidates. They can control them, right? If you give them enough money, or if you, if you praise them enough, you can control them. But Jesus was the God of the universe. He created everything. He was God. He was the king of the universe. And so here comes the king of the universe coming off of a temptation, having defeated the devil, the true, are you the son of God if you're the son of God? Well, he's the true son of God, and here he comes back home, Nazareth. Jesus is walking into Nazareth, and you can see it up on the screen there. And what struck me today as I was reading and studying is how actually close together everything was in Galilee. Jesus is coming to Galilee, Luke starts Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and here he comes to this place that is, uh, has lots of Jewish people, but also lots of Gentile people, and they're close together, and the first thing we notice as we see Jesus' homecoming is that Jesus, uh, or that Luke tells us, this is, uh, he uses lots of Trinitarian language. Jesus has been baptized in the Spirit. He has been tempted after being filled with the Spirit, and now the Son of God returns in the power of the Spirit. And it is the Spirit of the Lord, or the Father that is upon him. So you see the Son and the Spirit and the Father represented here as Jesus is coming home, the the. Jesus does not work on his own. Jesus is coming in the, in the Trinitarian power of the spirit. And here he comes to, to Nazareth. The second thing we notice is that the, in, in verse 14 is that the people heard about him. And in general, the pe- people liked Jesus.' up to this point, he was healing people. He was, he was feeding people. He was, he was generally a, a nice guy uh, in their mind. He was glorified and praised by all, as you, you see in verse 15. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And we see in this setting, as Jesus is coming home, things are actually pretty good. And and Jesus is coming home to Nazareth, which is a pretty insignificant town. I was talking to someone today about it. One, one scholar says Nazareth was about four acre, a four-acre village, a few hundred people. Uh you know, the Bylands, if you've been to Richard and Renzi's farm, their, their, their farm is 27 acres. You could, fit, you could fit seven Nazareths on their farm. Or if you haven't been to their farm, it's out three football fields. Now, how would you like to grow up in a town like that? I mean, Corvallis is kind of small. I come from Seattle. Corvallis is kind of small. But it's nothing like Nazareth. You imagine growing up in, in Nazareth. You think, you think Corvallis is small. What about Nazareth, it's insignificant, and it it sort of reflects, I think this is why Luke has it, it sort of reflects who Jesus came to save, the insignificant, the lowly, the, the backwoods kind of people. And you notice this, even in other places in Scripture, Nathaniel, when he hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, what does he say? Can anything good come from Nazareth, Right? And it's not that he was despising Nazareth. It was just like, what? Any political figures? The Messiah going to come from a, a four-acre village of a few hundred people? No, I, I don't, you know, in, in another place the people said, well, search the scriptures. Does, a prophet, does the prophet come from Galilee? And here Jesus is coming to his hometown, an in, insignificant place. But this is an insignificant place that kind of thinks it's kind of cool. You know what I mean? Have you you ever been in a place like that? Uh, The Messiah is from this insignificant place, but now this insignificant place is is going to experience the Messiah's ministry and his prophetic ministry, and they're going to be offended. And so Luke identifies Jesus with this insignificant place, but the Messiah is going to come to the insignificant but not just the insignificant in the world's eyes. He came, he came to minister, to seek, and to save those who were insignificant in their own eyes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of God. Not just in the world's eyes, but their own eyes. They, but is that Nazareth? Is that you? Do you understand yourself to be a sinner? Or maybe you're just not quite as bad as the other person. Jesus was coming to people that knew they needed to be saved. The only people that were going to receive Messiah's ministry were those who who, who knew they were blind, who knew they were lame, who knew they were sick, who knew they were in need. But he's coming to Nazareth that was in the region of Galilee. And this region was known for political unrest. They were they hated the Romans and, and the government and the taxation and the and the soldiers everywhere. They hated it. They 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 thought they deserved better than this. Some historians have noted the the uprisings and the general dislike and the hatred of the Roman government. Nazareth would have been primarily jewish place a jewish village surrounded by a bunch of gentiles and they would have seen themselves of needing to cordon themselves off and 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 push away from the gentile influences and the roman influences and they were just sort of waiting to be liberated from all of this here comes jesus to this small town son of a carpenter and the son of a carpenter, and this is pretty insignificant, but he's getting publicity, right? He's getting likes on Instagram. He's getting, he's getting uh, you know, his, his reels are getting reposted, whatever. I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but he, he's getting publicity, right? He's got, a, the, the Oregonian has a piece on him. And here he comes, this upstart carpenter son. He's coming, and the first place he goes is to the synagogue, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus comes as his custom to where he had been brought up. And he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stands up to read. And in this little small village, they would have known Jesus. They would have known his family. uh, But they would have also heard about him in the surrounding areas of of what was happening uh, with Jesus' ministry. And here he comes and they're probably wondering what he's going to say. And he comes as a custom that he learned from Joseph. As a man, he learned from Joseph and Mary. You're in the synagogue every Saturday. And, and there's, uh, there's a certain pace to life, not just in a village, but of, of the people of God. And they're worshiping together as God's people. And as God, so Jesus is both man. You learn from Joseph and Mary, but as God, he invented this practice for the good of his people. And now, as a man, he's entering into that practice. And, and as he entered the synagogue, there would have been a, a normal liturgy of the synagogue. It, it may have looked like this. From all of the research that has been, uh, been done about synagogue worship, um, there, there is a, a synagogue liturgy that, that usually maybe would start with the singing of a psalm, and then a, a sort of a maybe a call to worship. And then they would together recite Deuter- the the Shema from Deuteronomy six, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then there would have been prayers from the eighteen 18- Benedictions. I don't know if they had done eighteen prayers, but that would have been kind of cool. I mean, I don't think everyone thinks it's cool, but I think it's cool because uh, this is my job. And and then as they you know as they went through the prayers and uh, they were they were into um, the meat of the service, then would come the reading of the Torah. and And scholars debate whether those were assigned or not. So from the beginning of the first five books of the Bible, there would be a reading, maybe a longer reading, and then there would be a reading assigned from. The prophets and and here, Jesus stands up, and the attendant hands him the scroll from Isaiah, probably an assigned reading of the day. And Jesus takes the scroll. Right, it's not like a book like us, so he has to unroll the scroll or, or unroll. I don't know which way it was, and he would unroll it and he would he read it. He handed it back. He sat down because that's what they did when they, they preached, which maybe I should do. I don't know. Um, but today we stand, and, and they, he sat down, and, and then the sermon would happen, and then there was a prayer and a blessing. And this is all the setting that's setting us up for the most important part of this passage, and that is Jesus' sermon. So you've sat through the singing, you've sat through the reading, you've sat through the prayers, and now what's he going to say? What's this little upstart carpenter son from Nazareth who's getting all this publicity in, in Galilee? What's he gonna say? And you notice the text that was assigned to Jesus was the scroll of Isaiah. And he goes right to Isaiah 61. Luke tells us he, he finds the spot in Isaiah. I don't, I don't know how long the scroll is. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how it's going, but he found it because he was familiar with Isaiah. And he read... The passage, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And kind of like a political rally, I just imagine all the people going, yes, our Messiah, maybe our Messiah is here. We don't know who accompanied Jesus. Maybe he was all alone. Maybe he was with some of his followers, but he stands up, he reads. The attendant hands him the scroll to read. He reads Isaiah, and like a master storyteller, the historian Dr. Luke starts to slow down the narrative. Notice all the details he gives. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, he found the place, he reads, he rolls the scroll back up, he hands it back to the attendant. And he sits down and we're just waiting with bated breath with anticipation what's he going to say about this passage what's he going to say now we, we should notice that uh, historically um, historians have I should should have said historians have told us that Isaiah 61 and actually you, if you Compared Isaiah sixty one to what with what Jesus said, Jesus has omitted some things from Isaiah sixty one. He has omitted one line, which is to bind up the brokenhearted, but he's also added Isaiah fifty six eight in in here to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And historians tell us that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, you can go look this up on. On uh, 1517, uh, the, the website 1517, and, and, it ha- and the scholar there has a, a lot of good information about this. But they tell us that the Dead Sea Scrolls that they, the, they found around the Dead Sea, and the, and the contemporary Jewish people who lived there, uh, who studied these scrolls, actually put Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58.6 to, together as a job description of the Messiah. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. They were expecting the Messiah. They were wanting the Messiah. What were they wanting him for? So that he could do something for them. He could overthrow the government. He could, he could heal them of their diseases, but he could also help them with their, their poverty. And here he comes. He reads the passage that they would have seen as the Messiah's job description, and they're wondering what he's going to say about it. Let's just, let's just think about what, Isaiah tells us and Jesus tells us is the Messiah's job description. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That is he, it, it It is a heralding of good news. Now in the Old Testament, in the, in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that was, word was al, always used to talk about the military victory the good news of a military victory. And you're supposed to herald it. There was a guy who, who had come into the town, he would herald that news. The, the battle has been won. The, the victory has been completed. And the people sitting there, I think, may have been thinking, great, he is going to come liberate us from the Romans. But it's been proclaimed good news to the poor, and yes, to the physically poor, but, but more to the point to the, to the spiritually poor, the poor of spirit, the humble of spirit, those who knew that they could not save themselves spiritually from the, from the battle that was being waged for their soul. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And Jesus agrees with Isaiah. Isaiah agrees with Jesus that he's been sent to preach that good news, to herald it the first thing the Messiah is supposed to do. Next thing he's supposed to proclaim, this is keruzomai, it just means preach, it's a a word that means to to, to preach, and he's supposed to preach liberty to the captives, and and these are are military captives, but this would would also have to do with those who are captives of sin, it would have brought to their minds the the exodus, their their captivity to Egypt, and God redeeming them out of the land, and they would free these, these, these Israelites from Egypt, from their captivity. To, and, and slavery to Egypt, which, which represented, we know, as sin. And now the new exodus is here. Jesus is proclaiming liberty to the captives. He's recovering of sight to the blind. And yes, that would have been actually and jesus went on to do all of this to to open the eyes of those who were blind literally by by all kinds of things by putting mud on their eyes or just speaking to them and they would they would receive their sight but they would all, this would also have to do metaphorically with those who were blind he would open the eyes of those who were blind so they might see that he is the christ the messiah come to save them from their sins and the Messiah was come to set at liberty those who were oppressed. The Isaiah 58:6 passage would come in. Those all kinds of oppression. And Jesus' ministry would deal with all of it. The, the demonic oppression, the oppression by the enemies, the, um, but also the spiritual oppression by, by, by sin. Jesus came to set at liberty those who were oppressed. This is the Messiah's job description. And finally, he says, maybe to sum it all up, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, the year of Jubilee would come, and, and God, in Leviticus 25, provided for his people that would be, would be set free from all of their debts, ancestral property would be given back to them they would take a year off let the land rest they would only gather food from from what grew that year and Jesus had said the messiah's job is to proclaim the year of jubilee here it is the spirit of the lord is upon me to preach the good news and we don't know why he left out the to bind up the broken heart it seems like it would go really well here but he omitted it and he adds these other things, and at the end of it, we're just waiting with bated breath. Now, you all know this, right? We sang about it Jesus the Messiah, so Jesus is the Messiah, but imagine you're there in that synagogue, in, in that place, wondering is it really Him? Could it be Him? Doesn't look like it's John the Baptist. Maybe it's Him. Proclaiming the good news, He's, he's bringing the year of Jubilee. The Messiah's role is to bring the kingdom of God. And Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sits down, and says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing right now. Jesus is saying, the kingdom that you're longing for is here in me. I'm the kingdom. I'm the king of the kingdom. And and I'm here and I've, I've, I've come to set you free. And what was their response? What was their response? Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in years and all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth to them. But then we see a little turn. They just remembered maybe a spark of jealousy, maybe just a little bit of envy. But isn't this Joseph's son? How could a carpenter's son be the king, be the Messiah? And Jesus, knowing they were saying this in their hearts, maybe they were saying it out loud, he tells them, he goes on with the Messiah's not only the Messiah's job description of bringing grace and the kingdom, the king is gonna bring the kingdom through grace, he's also gonna bring judgment. We see two responses. You can either receive the king for who he presents himself to be, or you can reject the king. And Jesus predicts this. And what else does he say? Not only has this been fulfilled in your ears, but doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus is predicting not only what they're about to do to him, but he is predicting that they, they will say this to him on the cross. You're the Christ. If you're the Christ, come down. Save yourself and save us. He goes on to say that the, you know, the good news, the Messiah is coming is, is bad news unless you repent and believe. It brings salvation to those who repent and believe. It brings judgment to those who will reject the king. And he says, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel. And he goes on to give the, the example of Elijah and Elisha. That's just, just a reminder for you. If you have ever tried to move home, you, you, you can never move home the same way you left it. It's just not the same. And that's Jesus' experience, and that would be our experience. But for Jesus, it's slightly different. Jesus never did anything wrong. You know, we go home and, and people see us. as like, I know how you grew up. I know the things you did as a kid. I know the stupid things you did. Jesus never, Jesus never sinned. He, he comes home, but all of us can never go home the way we did. And, and as Jesus comes home, he's receiving the, the prophet's welcome, which is you're not acceptable in your hometown. And so he talks about Elijah and, and Elias, uh, 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 Elisha. And he he brings up the, the story of 1 Kings 17 and 18 that Elijah went to this Gentile widow and uh and and helped her survive by by doing miracles. I, I, I believe this is the this is the miracle of him raising her uh the, the widow's son and providing for her. And but Jesus' point to this whole thing is that a prophet like Elijah went to a place uh a place where of Sidon where Israel had a bunch of enemies. They would have thought this as, uh, as enemy territory. And Elijah, the prophet of God, goes there to heal the widows, to help the widows, when Israel had plenty of widows themselves. Why did he do that? Why would he go to this place, the, the enemy territory, the Gentile part of town? He goes there and he doesn't go to Israel. Same with Elijah. Uh, um, I, keep, I wrote Elias here because my son's name Elias, and now I can't stop saying Elias. Elisha, same thing with Elisha. Elisha goes, uh, Naaman comes to Elisha when there were lots of lep- Weren't there lots of lepers in Israel, 2 Kings 5? But Naaman comes and uh, Elisha heals Naaman. Why didn't he heal all the lepers in Israel? And Jesus is trying to make a point here. That he is going to walk the way of the prophets. See, the, the kingdom is coming through the king. That's his message. That's the point of his sermon. The kingdom is coming through the king. But the king is coming, is bringing salvation through suffering. That's, a, that's what the prophets had to do. The prophets were, 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 were taking the message of salvation, they were taking the good news of Jesus, not just to Israel, but to, to widows of Sidon to a Syrian named Naaman to a, a, a leper and he's taking the good news of the they're taking the good news of the kingdom to the unlikeliest of places that's what the kingdom is all about that's what Jesus is bringing this upside down kingdom into the world and, and what do you think how, how do you think the people of Nazareth would respond to this friend how how do you respond Jesus is coming to save you. Do do you find yourself to be righteous? Maybe not as bad as the, the, think of anyone out in our society. The person who just got a DUI last night or is in in jail for uh, assault or is strung out on drugs. Jesus would have been saying to us, the kingdom is coming to them first. Not, not to you who have it all together. Not to you college-educated people who own houses and have, you know, ha- have, have your lives all together, have never been arrested, have never gotten a ticket. He doesn't come to people like that. He comes to people that need him. So, ex- Nazareth is insignificant, but are they insignificant in their own eyes? Are they poor of spirit? Do they know? Are they humble of spirit? Do they know they need this Jesus? Do you? The point is that Jesus is bringing the kingdom to the Gentiles like he had planned to do from the beginning, to the outcast, to the unlikely, just like you, just like me. Kingdom is coming through suffering. So, so the, the prophets are bringing it to, to the outsiders. He's bring, they're bringing it to the outcasts and to the unlikely, and that's going to cause some suffering. So the, the response to the sermon was, was not only that they spoke well of him, that they were amazed by him, and a little suspicious of him that he was the son of a carpenter. It's Joseph's son. We know who he is. He grew up in this town. And there wasn't that much remarkable about him. But now it turns to wrath. The response of Jesus bringing the kingdom to the, to the, to the outcast, the unlikely, those who were, had no righteousness of their own, they needed someone else's righteousness to be saved, that brought wrath to the people of Nazareth. So much so that they drove Jesus out of the synagogue to the edge of the hill so they could push him off and kill him. The good news of the kingdom is salvation for some and judgment for others. Either way, the king of the kingdom is going to have to suffer the wrath in order to bring the kingdom to his people. And this is just a picture. Right now, they they do not kill him. They're not able to kill him. Jesus passing through their mists, he went away. And and in one, in in one sense, that is a such a cool passage. And in another sense, it's the saddest passage in all the world because he went away from Nazareth. They wanted to kill him and he went away from them. He wanted to bring the kingdom to them, but he went away from them because they couldn't handle that he was calling them out as not righteous people, of people needing salvation what is your response to Jesus? Do you get upset with him because he doesn't meet your expectations? Or do you get upset with the people who bring the good news of of Jesus to you and say, all of us are ungodly. There's none righteous, no, not one. That includes you. You need to be saved from your, your sins. Or maybe, dear friend, you are a Christian. You're afraid to tell that good news to people. It's the most loving thing we could do. And we may experience the wrath of people who tell us, I'm not unrighteous, how dare you talk to me like that? How dare you tell me my identity uh, should should be as a child of God and not whatever I want it to be? We may face the full wrath, but friend, remember, Jesus not only faced the wrath of his hometown crowd, but on the cross, Jesus faced the, the full wrath of God the Father for the sins of the whole world on himself, all at once, so that he could bring the good news of the kingdom to the people that least expected, the people that uh, are least likely to have, to the outcasts, to the, to the Gentiles, to people like you and me, I'm full of wrath, as man's wrath will, will pass away, but God's wrath will last forever, but he was satisfied on his son. That, that day on the, on the cross, you know, three years later when, when Jesus was nailed to the cross and the, the earth shook and the clouds were darkened and, and God poured out his wrath on his son, he, he did that for you. He did that for me. The wrath of God was satisfied. Hallelujah, what a savior is this. Now friend, you can either drive him to the hill to try to kill him, you can either drive him out because you're full of wrath at him, or you can, you, you can accept the, the wrath-bearing grace of God for you today. Oh dear Christian, no wrath remains for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if you have turned from your sins, repented of them, and trusted in him fully, there no wrath remains. Every drop of God's wrath was poured out for you on his son. You you can live free. You you don't have to live in fear and bondage. You can go right to this Jesus, this king, this this shepherd of your soul, and, and, and you can ask for forgiveness knowing he has already forgiven you What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's there's no wrath of man that's greater than the wrath of God, and the wrath of God has been poured out on his son for you. So here Jesus is coming. He's coming to his hometown. He says, I'm bringing the kingdom. This is my ministry. to proclaim the kingdom and to bring it to heal, to do good to you. Will you receive it? Christian non-Christian like will you receive it that's the application of this service will you receive the ministry of the king